All right, what I'm going to show you is controversial, as it was two weeks ago. Anytime you put a religious leader on the screen that the world follows and adores and holds up and thinks that if anyone is on their way to heaven, it's this person. I actually got three people that I'm going to show you. I don't do this to be edgy. I do this to be clear. If you think I'm going to be edgy, you look at how many views we get on YouTube, and it's uh, 20, 30. All right, so this isn't, uh, this isn't to reach a huge audience. It's to be clear uh, and to reach out to those around us and then to inform you on how to think about religious leaders of our day. On the left is Oprah, who uh, spoke at Tennessee State University a month ago, and her graduation speech, that was the, the uh, university she graduated from, that university speech sounds a lot like the second slide. On the right, uh, you'll see a book title, and I'll read a, a summary of that book, and her speech uh, had the same themes that that book has, and that book was written by an Episcopal priest who is a, uh, a lesbian. All right. Uh, the middle, uh, Joel Olstein um, has a, the, the largest church in the country in Houston, and I will quote uh, what they uh, say at their, at their um, gathering uh, every week in um, something like a stadium of uh, close to 40,000 people. On the right is Mother Teresa, and uh, she is, if anyone could earn their way to heaven, it would have been her. And she is highly respected to this day. Uh, they created a patron saint uh, spot for her in, in Catholic history. Uh, so she, I believe, is the patron saint of orphans or of, or of, of those in, in poverty. And so... Uh, what I'll show you uh, next are uh, some of the deadly sins that religions have come up with. And uh, you may not be able to read these. You can look up, um, look up this online and, and see. Uh, but what is the issue with the, the left side? We would all agree as Bible-believing Christians that lust, gluttony, pride, sloth, laziness, uh, wrath, greed, and envy are all sins, and they will all lead you to hell. What you may not be able to read is the solution is to be pure underneath lust, it's to be moderate underneath gluttony, to be humble underneath pride, so it just gives you the opposite of those to what you need to be. If you're not going to be guilty of these sins, then you need to be the opposite. Well, that, okay, that makes sense. And I mentioned the Episcopal uh, priest, uh, Carter Hayward is her name, uh, is here on the right. And she, I'll give you a summary of this book that I pulled straight from the website from the book. This isn't someone's uh, review of this book. Her, she writes this, uh, that um, the seven deadly sins of white Christian nationalism and a call to action. So here's the summary of the book taken from the book's uh, website. Hear the call to overcome today's culture of hate and bring healing and hope into our life together. While right, 
right-wing conservatives dare to call themselves Christians as they tear down equality and justice, commit horrific acts of violence, and fan the flames of fascism in America, Carter Hayward issues a call to action for Christians to truly hear God's message of peace and love. Hayward shows how American Christians have played a major role in building and securing structures of injustice in American life, rising tides of white supremacy, threats to women's reproductive freedoms, which means threats to abortion, and to basic human rights for gender and sexual minorities, which are basic human rights for LGBTQ+. The widening divide between rich and poor and increasing national disasters and extinction of Earth's species all point to a world crying out for God's wisdom. Followers of Jesus must call out these ingrained and sinful attitudes for what they are, acknowledging what the culture of white Christian nationalism is doing to our country and our world, and commit ourselves to even more fully to generating justice, love, whoever and wherever we are. Oprah's speech had those same themes, okay, when she spoke at her alma mater a month ago in in Tennessee. I I mentioned um, on the middle there of that last slide, Joel Olstein, if you were to watch his service, which I watched part of it last Sunday, last Sunday's sermon, uh, service, not sermon, last Sunday's service, they have a mantra that they quote. Everybody has uh, quotes. It's kind of like up on the screen, kind of like we just sang, and everybody is saying this, and they quote something like this. Now, it changed a little bit from when I wrote down what was probably up there a couple weeks or months ago, uh, so it's, it's changed, but it's, it's the same flavor, okay? And Joel Olstein gets up to speak, and he says this, life is too short to spend Spend time with negative, can't do it, jealous, critical, small-minded, insecure, etc. people. He's like, you've got to spend time with eagles, all right? Whatever that means. All right, positive people, right? And has his church repeat, and church is in quotes here, repeat a mantra, and they say this. They said it last Sunday on, on their uh, Lakewood Church um, YouTube I and everybody, the whole 40,000 or however many people are seated in there, say this with, with uh, Joel. I am blessed, prosperous, redeemed, forgiven, talented, creative, secure, confident, disciplined, focused, prepared, qualified, motivated, valuable, free, determined, equipped, empowered, anointed, accepted, and approved. The list was actually added a few more words that weren't on this. Um, this was an older version. They keep adding things of the power of positive thinking. If you look at Joel Olstein's books, uh, you will see Your Best Life Now, which is his um, probably first book, but anything with his name and face and smile on it sells a lot of, a lot of copies. And I point out these three religious leaders to tell us that we are in a religious culture. Everyone is wanting religion. Everybody wants a system uh, to follow. And I I think you'll see from the text of Scripture that we're going to see today in in Romans chapter 2 that what the world in following these leaders is, is they want someone to follow who's going to tell them how to be right with God. And we in our... um, Oh, I forgot to mention, Mother Teresa, on the right side of the chart. 
Although the, she avoided what we can tell are the seven deadly sins, and she lived a life of poverty, opposite of the other two religious leaders up there today who are living a wife of extraordinary wealth. Um, she lived and wrote in a, um, some letters that were in a book, um, Come Be My Light, in 2007. She wrote these in letters, Where is my faith? Even deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. Another letter said, If there be God, if there be God, please forgive me. And then a few years later, such a deep longing for God, repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. If she is in heaven, it will be that she turned from her faith in works to the true and living God and not what the world knows her to be and what she has written, because what she wrote by her own admission has no hope there. The songs that we just sang in praise and worship to our God, she would not have been able to sing those. Her, her letters declare the opposite was going on in her heart. And no matter how religious and how astute and how disciplined you are in your religion and how self-denying you can be and how many times a day you can pray and how many people you can help, there is no guarantee of eternal life for the merely religious. Paul is going to be as clear as possible in Romans 1 and 2 and 3. But there is one way to heaven, and it is not by religion. So how would I, how would I define religion? I'm going to use that term a lot, and it was, does religion, do the, does religion lead to God? Religion is an attempt to earn favor or earn a way, a path to God, simply put. It could be um, very structured, very well um, documented, very sincere, very organized, very formal, or very popular. And though billions on the earth right now have tried, have lived on the earth and tried, and billions continue to try, their good works cannot make them right with God. It does not matter what the world thinks of them because those three pictures, the world highly values those three individuals. But it's not what the world thinks that gets you to heaven. Romans chapter 2, um, well, this is our third message from Romans 2. You can go back and watch three weeks ago and two weeks ago that the religious are, are moral, part of this moral category, different than the immoral, that they not haters of God and are just full of gross immorality uh, of Romans 1. These are respectable people. These are leaders. These are people that many try to follow and emulate. And yet the religion, uh, the religious of Paul's day are going to be the Jewish people that give him a hard time that persecuted him, that tried to kill him with stoning. They did succeed in stoning uh, Stephen in the book of Acts. 
they were rejoicing when James was put to the sword in the book of Acts. So this is what we've just read. The most adamant opponents of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and, his, and the cross and the empty tomb were the Jewish people. So that's who Paul's writing to. Now we in, in evangelism today, we don't talk to a lot, I don't talk to a lot of Jewish people. Um, we don't come across a lot of Jewish people. Now there may be in uh, uh, around that you do, but this isn't the primary religion that we are facing today. Okay, the primary religious people that we're facing today are following one or more of the first three people that we just showed you. Okay, they're following Oprah, they're following Joel Olstein, they're following Mother Teresa. Okay, and so how to parallel Romans 2 with what we're dealing with today is I'm going to substitute uh, this idea of being a Jew and, and the law with being religious and following laws. And so um, to try to understand um, how to make this uh, helpful and practical uh, for us today. Verse 17 of Romans 2, we read it. And Romans uh, 2, 17 uh, to 20 is going to be an exposing of a fantasy world. There is reality and there's fantasy. With everything in the world, there is reality and there's fantasy. If you deny reality for a long time, the only solution you have is to come up with a fantasy. If you think that putting a tooth underneath a pillow will bring a fairy that has wings and a certain amount of money and takes your tooth and leaves you the money and, wow, this is great. And usually, however wealthy your parents or grandparents are, the tooth fairy leaves more or less money. <laughs> no, no relation to how wealthy your family or, or grandparents are or how generous they are uh, in that endeavor. But eventually you're going to realize the tooth fairy is a fantasy. We could go on and on about all kinds of other things that, that we have believed as children and are glad to not believe them now. Life is simple in a fantasy world. Life is very simple if the world is just about entertainment. Because all I have to do is just watch YouTube and whatever is pleasurable, I just watch it. That's a pretty simple life, right? But we can't live in a fantasy world. We can't live in a world that just says, uh, follow your heart. That's a fantasy world. And there are religions that are very sincere, very organized, very formal, and very popular. But the religions, if they are not tied to Scripture and the Word of God and the person of the Son of God, those religions are fantasy. I try to be clear and I'm trying to be kind. But we're not doing anyone a favor by telling them you're on your way to heaven by doing the best you can. That's a fantasy. And the Jewish people rejecting Jesus, and we have seen it in the book of Acts, how they have rejected Jesus, now they're rejecting his followers and the message of Christ, 
and the idea that they are lost and they are in need of a Savior. They're rejecting all of that. And there are many people today in telling them that they are sinners and that they're lost. And there's one solution for your sin, and it's not by doing good things. And it's not by following someone who is doing good things that you get to heaven. So Paul says in verse 17, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, and you boast in God, and you know his will, and you prove what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. These are three things, and identity is a, a huge buzzword today. This is my identity, okay? A religious person, this would be their, what they do. The next verses, sorry, 19 to 20 is their identity. So what you do, if you were to establish a religion and write it down, you would have to have a list of do's and don'ts. This is how religions operate, right? And so, uh, can I get to heaven by doing something? Well, what do the Jewish people do here in verse 17? There's four things they do. They call themselves a Jew, okay? So, calling yourself. So, who's in charge of your religion? Answer, you are. This is what makes religions very popular. You're in charge, Okay, this is why people want to follow and want to have their best life now is because they are in charge. You call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you boast in God and you know his will or you think you know his will because the Jewish people in Paul's day thought they knew God's will, but yet they put Christ to death and they didn't know God's will because that was God's will uh, for, for them to trust Christ, their Messiah, instead of crucify him. And you approve what is excellent. You're always looking and evaluating what is the best way to, to exercise my religion. So you call yourself spiritual or religious or a person of faith. You rely on certain laws. You boast in God that you're doing God's will. You know God's will because it's inside of us. It's written down by our leaders. We approve what is excellent. And then we are instructed, we're educated by these gurus. What did Paul say about his education? He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. You think of the most leading expert in Judaism, and that's who Paul sat at his feet, and he, in his testimony and testifying to the Jewish people, saying, okay, I did the best our religion can offer. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was blameless. There was no part of my life that you could point to and say, Paul, you broke the Old Testament law. Zero. Parts. Paul was perfectly blameless, publicly right with Judaism. And in the book of Acts, up to chapter 9, Paul thinks he is doing God's will by trying to kill Christians because they're a sect. 
in his mind. He was educated. He was approving what is excellent. He was knowing God's will. He was boasting in God. He was relying on the law. And if anyone was religious and worth following, a model student, a model teacher, it was Saul of Tarsus. And today, there are so many religious people relying on laws, boasting in God, think they know his will, approving what is excellent, and educated to the nth degree online, in person, the self-help books, the instruction from their religion. So this is what you do. And you can try this, 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 and and you'll end up like Mother Teresa writing to your uh, friend saying, I'm, I'm still empty. I've tried everything. I've done everything my church said. I even established my own order within my religion. And I've got ladies following me. I've got the world singing my praises. And on the inside, I'm empty. Why? Because religion is a fantasy. It's a fantasy to believe that my religion can lead me to heaven. It does not matter what the world says. It does not matter if the world thinks that everyone who is very religious is in a better place. That is not, a, that's not reality. That's a fantasy. Here's the problem with fantasy. When really powerful billionaire people tell you what to believe and you start believing them, you think that fantasy is reality. And it goes for all kinds of things that we have seen in Romans 1 and 2 up to this point that are sinful, that God says are sinful, and that God will condemn as sin. And unfortunately, the largest of churches and the best-selling authors are not telling people about sin. They're telling people to have their best life now. And their best life is now, but their future life is going to be awful. And to remind ourselves, the future life of those who are moral and religious and not right with God. Go back with me to verse 8 of Romans 2. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, God's truth, not man's truth, But obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. God's wrath and fiery indignation. And they will not escape, earlier in verse uh, 3 says, they will not escape the judgment of God. The second part of religion and building this fantasy world is not just what you do, but who you are. See, if you do something long enough, you think, this is who I am. If I have these feelings and I start living out these feelings, then I can think, oh, this is who I am. And the problem with living in a fantasy world is eventually you're going to hit reality, and you want to hit reality before too long because you don't want to grow up 
as a 20-year-old or an 18-year-old and you get your wisdom teeth out and you think the tooth fairy is going to give me a lot of money because I had to go through surgery for these things. And hopefully as an 18-year-old you think, okay, the tooth fairy is not, not real. That's a fantasy. Verse 19 and 20 tells us about this identity of the religious. How do the religious see themselves? By their good works of, uh, and, and dedication and education and everything that they are doing so hard, and they're consumed with this at times. 17 and 18, this is what they're doing. Now, verses 19, how they view themselves. This is their identity. If you are sure that you yourself, okay, where's the surety coming from here again? You yourself. You have, what Paul is saying here is, you have convinced yourself. You've convinced yourself that this is who you are based on, verse 17 and 18, what you've done or are continuing to do. And here is what religious people, here's their identity. I am a guide to the blind. I am a light to those who are in darkness. I am an instructor of the foolish. I am a teacher of children. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Wow. This is who I am. I'm a guide. I'm a light. I'm an instructor. I'm a teacher. I am the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Whoa! Self-identity. Is this leading toward God? No, this is leading toward where? Back to what you're doing. This is a circular path of this is what I do, this is who I am. Okay, I'm not this enough. I need to get better educated. And so we go back to verses 17 and 18 and get more education and more approving what is excellent, honing my skills on my religion and trying to boast in God and know his will and trying to lead other people and relying on my rules, my laws, because I'm calling myself a religious person, I'm a person of faith, I'm spiritual. And I want to be the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Whoa, this is where a lot of religious people, leaders in our day, this is how they would self-identify. If you ask Oprah, Oprah, do you think that you are, verses 19 and 20, she'd say, absolutely. Absolutely. Joel Osteen, absolutely. Mother Teresa, if we could talk to her, she'd say, oh yeah. Why do you establish an order if you don't think that you are oh, doing something that's worth following? And so the self-identity doesn't lead to God. The self-efforts don't lead to God. It leads toward more self Self, self. And back in verse 7, sorry, verse 8 of Romans 2, the moral life leads to being more self-seeking. Who's the ultimate evaluator of what is excellent in verse 18 is self. Who's the evaluator of whether or not my religion leads me to God? It's me. I am going, and the real problem with religion is, I think I save me. 
My religion cannot lead me to heaven. So how do we help people that are stuck in what they're doing, steeped in religion, and who they think they are as religious, spiritual people of faith, guides and lights and instructors and teachers? Well, to go from fantasy to reality, there's a step here that's helpful. It's called questioning. Ask questions. If people are living in a fantasy world, and I have listened to my children talk to other children who thought there was a Santa Claus, and I have had to tell my kids, okay, if other kids want to believe in Santa, allow them. (laughs) They can live in that fantasy world. But you know how they helped their friend who they (laughs) were grieved that they were terrified of a man in a a red suit coming down their chimney, and they weren't maybe on the the nice list because uh, they were a little bit naughty. You know where you go from fantasy to reality is questions. And so Paul asks questions. What questions does he ask in verse uh, 21? He says, and you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Okay, so you're teaching other people because you're an instructor and and, um, all all of the the guide to the blind and the light. And Jesus said much to the Pharisees uh, when he was confronting them. And Paul is saying, okay, aren't you teaching yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Even if it's something small, do you steal time from your employer? Do you steal one candy bar at a convenience store ever? You take something that wasn't yours, borrowed with never intending to give it back, that's still stealing. And he continues with the questions. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And Paul writes around the same time uh, Matthew 5 is written in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, if you lust, you've committed adultery. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now this might be a a little crazy for us to imagine, but if you think that a relic is going to help you. And in a temple, in a museum, in a religious center that has, is full of relics, something that's going to help you pray, something that's going to give you some superstitious help uh, in your religion, would you like take that and say, okay, now I can pray because I got my, it's like a lucky rabbit's foot, right? I, now I've got my relic. Now I've got something that has God's power in it. It's sad, but this is how many religions function. And in the questions, Paul's trying to expose, you are not obeying the laws of God. You are relying on that last question there. Robbing temples is, I've got to get an edge, I've got to get some advantage spiritually mystical, uh, something superstitious, uh, and my religion promises help if I have this sort of plant, this kind of plant, or this sort of thing in my car, or, and there are so many things in religions that have some superstitious connection, and those who are religious, like, do you really think 
a plant, and I, I was told this, a plant at the entrance of a restaurant wards off bad attitudes. You laugh, but I laugh too when I first heard that. But that's what people believe in false religions. Do you really think that a little plastic or something hanging from your rearview mirror is going to protect you while traveling? Because that's what a lot of people believe. Okay, and false religions are pervasive because when enough people believe that, they think, well, I've got to go buy these things to protect me while I'm driving or well, I've, I've got to have certain plants so that my kids won't have bad attitudes. That's what they think. It's sad. They're living in a fantasy world, though, by thinking, I'm doing everything right and my life should be better And Paul's going to say, your life is not headed toward heaven. You think it is. It may give you some financial prosperity here. It's definitely going to give you religious leaders prosperity if you follow their religion and buy their books and and go to their church and give them a lot of um, popularity and publicity. But these questions are leading from fantasy to reality. And these questions are given by Paul because there's a lack of self-evaluation. And what is Paul leading people away from? A reliance on self. And he's leading them to question private sins. See, publicly, everybody looks good publicly. But did you know that Oprah's living in sin and has been since 1986? Same guy. She's not married. (gasps) She's not sinning. Okay, according to my Bible, the marriage bed is honorable and all and undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews 13. If you're living together and you're not married, you're living in sin. I don't care what religion you follow that says it's okay. I don't care what culture you're in that says, you're a religious leader, we're going to follow you, whatever you say. Give us a car when we come to your show. Okay, so questions that Paul asks here is meant to lead from a fantasy world that it's okay how I live in private as long as my public life is good, as long as I'm still leading people, I'm still a guide to the blind, I'm still exercise, I'm still educating myself and learning more. But you know what the problem <laughs> with Joel, Cena, and Oprah in particular? Their religion keeps changing. You know how their religions keep changing? Oh, yep. Yeah. It's, a, it's not popular for this or that sin. So now we're going to be against or not, we're not going to mention that too much. We're not going to talk about sin that much. We allow people to live their truth, whatever that is. So verse 23 continues the questions. You who boast in the law. He finishes the questions and he goes for the analysis of the questions. You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. See, this isn't about you and getting the right laws in place in your life and your religion and prop yourself up to think that you're all this. It says here, you dishonor God by breaking his law. And he just mentioned several laws. There are other laws that we could point out to in our evangelism to help people question them. They think they're all right. They think they're fine. They think they're on their way to heaven. And you tell them, have you ever 
lusted? Have you ever lied? Have you ever dishonored your parents? And they have to say yes to all those things. And their religion does nothing to take away those private sins. Their real identity is, we'll find out in Romans 3, is sinner, not instructor, guide. And then he quotes Old Testament, Isaiah 52, uh, in, in verse 24 here of Romans 2, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Jewish people living in opposition to God's law, disobeying God's law. Were meant, the Jewish people were meant to obey God's law and the Gentiles were going to come worship. This was God's intent in the Old Testament that the Israel would be the kingdom of priests. And yet, Isaiah, as he is preaching before they go off into captivity to Babylon, is telling them, you have been unfaithful to God, and because of that, you've disobeyed God. The name of God that you were to magnify and other people were to come, come worship because of your obedience, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. If you watch Joel seen enough, you know what happens? You think God wants you healthy and wealthy. Is that the truth? No, that's fantasy. What about sickness? What about disease? What about lifelong struggles that we have physically? What about poverty? What about prison and persecution in the New Testament? You can imagine Paul, the Apostle Paul, sitting in Joel Steen's sermon, sitting through it and saying, um, Joel, I got stoned uh, for the cause of Christ. I don't think this is my best life now. I have trouble walking because I've been beaten so many times. I've got scars all over my back. I've been shipwrecked. And he goes on a list of sins. And Joel Steen is speechless he's been preaching a false gospel and a false way to be right with God. And questions are meant to lead from fantasy to reality. And I don't think I'm going to get to reality today because we're out of time. So I'll, I'll pick up here uh, next week. But let me give you a quote from Spurgeon, and I'll change this quote next week. What does God expect? Spurgeon, not one to mix words or to give you what you wanted to hear, says about 150 years ago or more ago, sounds like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and he says this, any man who trusts so much as a single hair's breath to his works is a lost soul. He who trusts to the least Adam of works, Adam, that's the smallest particle of works, though it be so small that he himself cannot even discern it, will be lost. If you trust in your works at all, you have added to the gospel. And it's not Christianity. I don't care if you claim to be a Christian. We should not look at people that are trusting in their good works as Christians. They're not. We're not doing them a favor by saying, oh, you're a Christian and we're on the same team. We are not. We are followers of Jesus. We have been forgiven of all of our sin, and it wasn't because we're good people. 
and we've done good works, and it's not because of who we are, because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you so much for clear revelation from you that we can go word by word through your Bible, and you give us who we are, who we think we are in a fantasy world, and how we are not right with you, and we think we are. And we need to be brought to our knees and cry out like the thief on the cross, like the tax collector who wouldn't even look to heaven because he was so guilty of his sin. He just cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you gave him mercy. You gave all of us mercy. I pray for those here today, those watching, who are trusting in their good works, trusting in their religion, educating themselves, seeing themselves as instructors and a light to those in darkness. I pray that they would ask themselves the questions that Paul asked and that they would realize that they are not as good as they thought they were. Their religion has lied to them has constructed a fantasy world that does not match reality. Thank you so much for Christ and how he came, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. In his name we pray, amen.